Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, let's just remember that it was 44,000 votes in three states that ensured that Joe Biden was elected president in 2020. We must make sure that that margin is bigger and in more places come 2024. That's why I need you to join the union. Go to jointheunion.us and sign up for our field army that is going to ensure the future of American democracy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Philip Germain, Deputy Political Director for us here at The Lincoln Project. Prior to joining The Lincoln Project, and who could believe he had a life before us, he worked with multiple political campaigns and was a legislative fellow for the House of Representatives. He's a graduate of UCLA with a degree in international relations and affairs and is coming to us today in studio from Washington, D.C. Philip, welcome. Hey, Reed. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're going to spend some time, Philip, talking about no labels. And for our viewers and ultimately our listeners out there, no labels was started, I don't know, maybe 10 or so years ago as this idea that you could bring together moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats to pass bipartisan legislation. They have a group in Congress they call the Problem Solvers, who are a caucus of their own that push to sort of restore comedy such as it was ever in the U.S. House. But this year, they've taken on a much bigger hurdle than trying to get 40 or so members of Congress to agree on infrastructure or whatever the case might be. They have decided that as an insurance policy, their words, not ours, that they will attempt to run a third party candidate for the presidency, saying that the American voters are unhappy with their choices in the idea that it might be a rematch between President Joe Biden and soon to be yet again indicted seditionist coup attempter Donald Trump in 2024. All of that to say that they have spent the last, I'd say, year or so really starting to figure out how they want to spend $70 million to gain what's called ballot access, the ability to run a candidate in enough states to garner the 270 electoral votes that it would take to elect this mystery candidate. Some of the candidates that you know have been mentioned are Joe Manchin, West Virginia Senator, John Huntsman, former governor of Utah, Larry Hogan, former governor of Maryland, Pat McCrory, former governor of North Carolina. And these are all people who sort of consider themselves to be people who are close enough to the middle that they somehow, Philip, could garner enough from the left and from the right, from Republicans, Democrats and independents to take out either one of the two major party nominees. So that's a plan that exists on paper. And I want to say, when I say in reality, not in the reality that it could happen, but in the reality that they're telling people. So I want to go through a few different things. One, you know, for those of you watching, 
I have tried to do this not once, but twice. And let me tell you, individually and we collectively, those of us that worked on it, couldn't make it work, Philip. And we couldn't make it work with people who, you know, in one case was a very well-known, very independently wealthy corporate leader. His name was Howard Schultz. He runs Starbucks, as you might have heard. The other is an unnamed person, but both of them very accomplished self-funders who were going to come at this from outside the political system. And we couldn't, after spending a lot of time and a lot of money on polling, couldn't figure it out. That didn't even get into the issue sets and everything else. So talk to us a little bit about how No Labels thinks that they could win this from an electoral map perspective. How, where are they going to win? Where is this mystery unicorn candidate going to win 270 electoral votes? Well, Reed, you know, over the course of the last year and more so over the course of the last seven months, they seem to be trying to figure that out as well. We've seen a number of these electoral maps that they've released, some of them saying they'll win 279 electoral votes. The one they're currently using has them winning 286 electoral votes in 25 states. I've seen maps showing them winning 321 electoral votes in 28 states. And, you know, when we break out these states, I mean, for one, you know, let's just take their own math, right? You know, they're thinking they're winning states like Delaware. Joe Biden's home state. They see themselves, you know, winning Hawaii, Massachusetts, you know, Rhode Island. These are states that have not flipped in years. These are states that haven't been won by less than double digits for decades. And then on the Republican side, you know, they, they see themselves winning Montana, Nebraska, Tennessee, Utah. <laughs> Going back to my not so far away college days, if I had taken some of these maps in for a class, I would have failed the class. These just aren't based in reality, in my understanding. Well, and you know, just you, you mentioned Utah, where I live, and I lived here in 2016 when Evan McMullen, friend of mine, friend of ours, ran as an independent against Donald Trump as a sort of conservative independent. Evan is of the LDS faith, running here in Utah, a handful of the states he got on the ballot, and I think he garnered 16%. Did he take some of that from Clinton? Clearly. But here's the point, was never going to get close, even in Utah, where Trump's not a particularly, you know, favored brand politically, wasn't going to come close to beating Donald Trump. And so in Utah's maybe a particular case that explains the whole thing, which is it really helps to be LDS and conservative in Utah if you want to win the state statewide for anything. But certainly, you know, a former governor of Maryland, listen, even John Huntsman, when he ran for governor, you know, in 2020 lost in the primary, right? So even someone who's won here and won before doesn't have any real chance of winning. And then you talk about places like Delaware, right? And, you know, this is the other part too, is, you know, you said that they had one map where you said it's 279 electoral votes, then the other one was 286, but then they have this one sort of outlier where they got to 321 and it sort of sounds like, you know, the three bears, right? It's like, oh, this one was a little too cold. This one was a little too hot. So we feel good at 286. That seems like a realistic number. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you take a look at these maps and they point to them a lot or they'll, they'll show you polling, you know, their own polling when it comes to this has them losing, has them at 20 percent. It has the, you know, Joe Biden at 28 and has Trump at 33 percent. And that's a Trump plus five environment. You know, that's Trump winning the White House. Something that I haven't seen and would love to is this state by state polling. You know, show me how you get to winning any of these states. 
You know, show me how you're winning Delaware. Show me what you're polling at in Delaware. Show me what you're polling at in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. You know, let's see some of these numbers. And unfortunately, you know, as is the case for a majority of this so far, there's no answers for that. There's no published research on how they got to this. Right. And this is the one thing uh, I actually wrote a column about this over at Resolute Square for everybody who wants to read it called No Labels. The answer is no answers, right? Which is anytime they're pushed on this stuff, right? It's being asked to take this stuff on faith, Philip. And, and I know that No Labels recently held a call or a Zoom, I guess, for 70 of their most senior people. And Nancy Jacobson, the CEO of No Labels, uh, who was married to Mark Penn, who was a longtime Democratic pollster, who I assume is conducting their research, said that it wasn't just about the polling, Philip. It's also about some magical algorithm they have that's going to determine whether or not they believe that they can win. And if they think that Biden can win, they wouldn't do this. But if they thought that their third party candidate could, that they would move forward. This is new information to me because we've heard about polling and analytics, but an algorithm, of course, is designed by a human and the algorithm will spit out what it is trained or what it is told to spit out. And so this again, this whole idea is, OK, we're not going to tell you who our donors are. Right. Because, as Nancy said, democracy sometimes needs anonymity, which was uh, you know one for the ages for me, Philip. But now it's no, we're going to win these states. How are we going to win these states? Well, here's a poll that shows that we don't win. Okay, but then you say you have an algorithm. Can you show us that? No. Okay. so what you're saying is you're playing with the future of the country. Right. And we're going to get to why in a minute, Philip, you're playing with the future of the country, potentially the future of American democracy. And you just want us all to take it on faith. And that seems like something. Remember what Reagan said? It was an old Russian proverb back in the 80s. Right. Trust, but verify. Philip, I got to be honest with you, I don't trust them and they're never going to let us verify this stuff because, of course, they know it's all bullshit. Well, and that's, you know, again, going back to these maps and trying to get an understanding of what the strategy and is and, and where they're finding this. Because, again, you know, if we take their map where they even show themselves winning 28 states, right? Let's talk about that. 17 of those states haven't flipped in 20 years. There's states that haven't flipped since the 60s on this map. You know, these are, again, states where the Democrat or Republican presidential candidates are winning by double digits. And, you know, they're saying they're going to straight up win these states. You know, we're not just going to contest these. We're going to win. And then there's these unity stretch states, these states where they consider these swing states. And these are, you know, states like Washington and Oregon, you know, the Pacific Northwest and some states out in the Midwest and then a couple of northeastern states, again, that are Democratic states. And I think a good understanding is that when you add a third party ticket like they want to be, these states that are unity states, paint them red. These are states that will flip, but for a Republican candidate. These are states where they could be the difference maker, where, you know, let's look at 2020. Joe Biden won by 44,000 votes in three states. That's Wisconsin. That's Georgia. That's Arizona. You know, you know, Joe Biden did not have as big of a landslide as some people want to think. This was a very tight election. And 2024, what I've heard a lot, especially from the labels, is if this black swan moment occurs, you know, only in this scenario, which is the most likely to happen of President Biden being the nominee, there's no circumstance where a sitting incumbent president isn't the nominee. And then you have Donald Trump, who is 
at this point, wipe the field currently. And I mean, they're taking themselves out and they're claiming, well, if Biden's up 10 points, if Biden's up 20 points, we won't do it. It's this reality that doesn't exist and it conforms to what they're hoping for. And what in your mind, Philip, what are they hoping for? At this point that Joe Biden isn't president come January of 2025. That is the only outcome that a no labels ticket guarantees. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. And here's the thing too. So in some of the public polling we discussed before we went on the air, this shows again that a third party candidate not only doesn't get traction, doesn't come anywhere close to winning a state. Um, Greg Schneider, who is a longtime Democratic pollster, who is working with the likes of our own Joe Trippi and former House leader Dick Gephardt, had polling that showed, again, that in a head-to-head matchup, Biden wins like 42-38. As soon as you add in this third party group, again, unnamed candidate, it swings it to Trump. And we saw this, and I believe he did some state-by-state stuff in what we would consider the existential states, as you mentioned some, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, et cetera, where you know, instead of Biden winning all of them, now Trump, I think, wins three. It's a tie and two, and Biden wins one outright. Like Again, why play with a nuclear gadget when it comes to democracy if you don't have your act together? And, and so that's the other part, too. And then I want to get to the, the sort of issue piece of this, too, which is if you don't know that you can do it, again, why take the chance? And look, as someone who tried to start a third party, right, it's really hard to do the two parties. Republicans and Democrats in states across the country where you have to go start these things, right? You don't just get to say, congratulations, I'm a party, have built up barriers to keep out competitors. Not surprising, they own the playing field. But here's the other part too, is that, you know, they say, oh, okay, well, you know, we're not going to be a spoiler. Yes, you are. And that's always what we see, which is if you ask a voter, would you like more than two options? Philip, they'll say like 75% yes, of course. And then if you ask, would you vote for an independent candidate over the Republican or the Democrat, the number drops through the floor because at that point, it's the wasted vote, right? People don't want to waste their vote. They want to feel like the vote they cast made a difference. And, you know, if you do this wrong, right, it can make a difference. Democrats, you know, both in 2016, where Jill Stein got 6,000 votes in Michigan, right? That was more than the margin that Hillary lost by. In 2000, remember Ralph Nader in Florida, right? With no Nader on the ballot there, you know, was Gore president of the United States for eight years? We don't know the answer to that. You know, and then they also mention Ross Perot. Okay, well, Ross Perot had a couple of things. One, he was not a politician. Two, his whole thing was about the economy. Three, he had his own money, right? And he was, you know, taking on, by nominee standards, a relatively unknown small state governor in Bill Clinton and a wounded from a nasty primary, George H.W. Bush. But here at the end of the day, he still didn't get any electoral votes. In fact, the last time we got any electoral votes, I think was, well, John Connolly in 1980, because somebody, I think, in West Virginia flipped their deal. 
you know, we always have those sort of occasionally, but it rarely makes a difference. I don't think it's ever made a difference. And in 1968, George Wallace on a purely segregationist ticket basically won the old Confederacy, as did Strom Thurmond in 1948 on a Dixiecrat ticket on the same issue. And so history is not on their side. And somehow, you know, it's like, oh, just because it's never happened before doesn't mean it can't happen. Very true. And maybe no time in living memory, Philip, is that the case. But on the merits, it doesn't make sense. And on the metrics, it doesn't make sense either. Yeah. And when you look at the, you know, candidates that you just talked about, let's look at Ross Perot. How many states did he win? You know, let's look at Ralph Nader. How many states did he win? None. You have to go back decades to when that was a reality. And even then, it wasn't. And, you know, looking at who seeks to benefit and what does this look like, right? You know, you see the Biden coalition. It took a massive coalition. We were a part of that coalition in 2020 in these ban in line voters. You know, the, the moderate Republicans, the six to eight percent that ended up voting for Biden in 20 and have continued to vote for Democrats through the midterms in November. You see these double haters, as we call them, or people that don't like either candidate. And at the end of the day, you don't have to like your president. You know, this is somebody that you trust to get the job done and to not dismantle democracy. And you see, what does a no labels candidate let's say? It's Joe Manchin. Let's say it's Larry Hogan, who's been talking a lot. You know, Larry Hogan is somebody who in the last two weeks or so has put out three campaign type ads who every single day has retweeted or shared something from no labels and articles about him possibly being on the ticket. This is a candidate that takes from the Democratic coalition. This is a candidate who takes those moderates, who takes the independents, who takes those, you know, soft Republican voters. You're not going to break Trump voters off. If you are someone who voted for Trump in 2016, somebody who voted for him again in 2020, and then you voted for all the election denying candidates in 2022, you're not going to snap and wake up and, oh, you know what? Larry Hogan's my guy. They're staying. And I think also it's important to understand, too, that specifically for Hogan and Manchin, these are two guys without a party at this point, right? Manchin from West Virginia can't win re-election in the Trumpiest state in the country against the sitting governor, Jim Justice, right? He knows that. He's got no place else to go. Larry Hogan was governor of Maryland, which in a normal time would be a good sign of someone who was able to generate that crossover appeal. But he specifically said he's not running in the Republican primary because he knows he couldn't win it. So now they're saying, well, I've got nothing else to do, right? I'm upset that the party I belong to, frankly, I'm not part of anymore. And for Manchin, he could be. He chooses not to be, although his state is, again, gone away. And, you know, look, Hogan was from a state where probably like so many other blue state Republicans, he couldn't choose his own state party chairman. But here's the other part, too, is with Hogan, he knows better. He knows this can't work. He knows it can't work. And now he's not only putting out this campaign style stuff, but, you know, he's saying, well, maybe we should take a closer look at the Hunter Biden stuff. Right. So now he's even getting in on the equivalency that I think is also a core piece of the no labels umbrella. And that's the wrong word. But you know what I'm saying, which is that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are somehow equivalent, that Joe Biden is some sort of wacko lefty progressive. And Donald Trump is just a regular Republican. Well, and, you know, let's talk about that. But something about Manchin that I, I do want to bring up and something about this ticket, you know, Monmouth did a poll on this. They've had a perspective ticket polled 
And we've seen, again, when you don't name a candidate, of course, you're going to poll a little higher. Polling around 30%, oh, you know, I'd consider it. And then they say, okay, well, here's Joe Manchin and John Huntsman, and the support goes down to 2%. Which is functionally zero when you take into account the margin of error. 100%. And now let's look at this comparison, right? If Joe Biden was a sitting member of the House or a sitting member of the Senate, the Problem Solvers Caucus that No Label sponsors would want him as a member. He is somebody that has passed seven consequential pieces of bipartisan legislation that range from gun reform, election reform, chips, manufacturing, infrastructure, a debt ceiling bill. These are things that he could get done because he is a moderate. And then they're comparing that to Donald Trump, who is facing his second slash third indictments. Potentially his fourth. I mean, <laughs> before Labor Day. You know, I mean, get one more and he can get a free yogurt at this point. But you, you have a guy that tried to overturn American democracy, plain and simple, and you're comparing him to Joe Biden. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, about the, the bipartisan piece of this, which is even Democratic members of the Problem Solvers Caucus say this is a terrible idea, that no labels should not do this. When the first one came out, uh, I think a congressman from Illinois, what did no labels do? They went out and attacked him. Right? Brad Schneider. Like, Brad Schneider, they went out and attacked a guy that's one of their own. And this is the other part, too, is that they are very thin-skinned, right? They have chosen to enter the biggest political field, right, the biggest political battleground in America, certainly, and, you know, that has global implications. And they don't like being told that they're wrong, and they don't like being pressured on different things. And, you know, that's also just, you know, let's talk about these potential candidates, but also how they're chosen, Right. First of all, does anybody believe that Joe Manchin is the voice of a new generation, right? I mean, the man is, I think, 75, 76 years old, right? So, like, he is what he is. He is a swamp creature, right? Like, the oppophile on Joe Manchin being an insider pay-to-play guy will write itself when the time comes, if it's necessary. And how are they going to choose it? Okay, now, you can make an argument that you don't like the way the, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party choose their nominees. Okay, that's fair. But we should always remember that political parties are organizations founded by people for the express intent purpose of nominating candidates for political office. They get to set the rules by which they do that. But in the last 60 or so years, that process has become a lot more small d democratic. And you can see that with Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump would not be the nominee if this was, you know, we were still back, you know, smoky back rooms and everything else. And millions, tens of millions of people, Philip, by this time next year will have participated or had the opportunity to participate in Republican and Democratic nominating contests and Green Party and Libertarian Party contests, which also enjoy broad ballot access across the country, right? But how's No Labels going to do it? That's the question. You know, I think they are not even sure how this process is going to play out. I mean, we'll, we'll take it each one by one, right? Let's talk about ballot access. They're just fresh on another state ballot. I believe it's Utah. Where it's very easy to get ballot access here. And that's a lot of these early states are where it's easiest to get on the ballot. They're on the ballot in six states. You know, there's 50 and it's a monumental process. And, you know, when we talk about candidates like Jill Stein, from 2016, you know, that she had, I believe it was $3.5 million she raised over the course of her campaign. They've raised $70 million. 
That's a lot of money. I mean, it, it might not be enough to even get on the ballot in a majority of these states, but it's a lot of money. And we're not sure where it comes from. I've heard Manchin and others talk about the Democratic and Republican parties are these dark money organizations when he knows better that Democratic party filings, candidate filings are available on the FEC website. They are quartered files, you know, filed every quarter. We have not seen that from no labels. They operate under a 501c4. They don't have to disclose their donors. There's no understanding of where these folks have come from, except for some great reporting. Uh, David Korn had some, some great pieces recently breaking out where they're getting some of this money through the Insurance Policy for America, which is a project that no labels has. And a lot of those donors they found were Republicans, stalwart Republican donors, a majority of them were Republicans. And these aren't, I'm giving, you know, a little bit here and there. These are six to seven figure donors that have given consistently to the NRSC, to the NRCC, the RNC, the Trump campaign, a multiple election deniers from 2022. These are folks that I would love to know what the conversation was that got those donations. And, you know, there's this conversation again of how do you nominate a ticket? Pat McCrory, who's the former governor of North Carolina, said on the I think it was the New Yorker podcast that the way that no labels would do it is that they're going to host a convention, a nominating convention in Dallas, Texas. I think he said June, but I think it's actually April. So it even shows you that he doesn't know the answer to these things and that the way it would happen, there would be a search committee to go out and look for the appropriate candidates to carry this banner. And then there would be a nominating committee. I assume of the, you know, a smaller subset of the same handpicked people who then would take this ticket to the delegates at the convention. But no one knows who any of those people are. We don't, and it could be 2,700 or 5,400 delegates, however many the RNC and the DNC have, or it could be 82 people, right? All of whom like are handpicked to go do these things. And the only thing they have in common is that they're big, wealthy supporters of no labels, and they happen to be from each of the 50 states. But it's not an open process, if that makes sense. But here's the other part, too, is that, as you said, ballot access is hard. Political parties and in federal candidates have to disclose their donors. No Labels claims that it is not a political party, but in a place like Florida, where it is easy to establish a political party, relatively speaking, they have a No Labels party on the ballot, who in its bylaws says it is there for the express purpose of nominating somebody on the No Labels ticket in 2024. Ergo, why aren't they having to disclose their donors? Well, I'll promise you that Mark Penn and Nancy Jacobson swore up and down and side to side to the private equity guys in New York and L.A. and the real estate guys in Dallas that their names would never, ever, ever become public. And when asked about why they're so afraid of this, Ryan Clancy, who is a former Biden speechwriter, by the way, said that, you know, these donors are afraid of retribution, to which I say, you know, if you are choosing, Philip, to have a massive impact, potentially historical and irreparable impact on the direction of the United States of America and how its 330 million citizens live their lives, then you should have the backbone and the Constitution to say, I'm willing to be public about it, right? You should not get to hide in the shadows and decide, okay, I'm going to take my billions because, you know what, at the end of the day, I really would like somebody in the style of George W. Bush 
to come back. I want my Republican Party back. But if I can't have that, I'll take Trump again. But anybody but Biden. To me, it's, again, bullshit, right? No labels not only equals Trump. On so many occasions, it equals bullshit. Well, and again, I mean, the, you mentioned the state party in Florida. They have a full board. You can go on online and, and look at No Labels Party of Florida. That's not a nonprofit in my eyes. That's a political party. And the chairman of that board is a woman named Kathleen Shanahan, who I know from the 2000 campaign because she was Dick Cheney's chief of staff on that campaign when he was running for vice president. Unity, right? Unity everywhere. So, But let's talk about this, too, because, you know, let's talk a little bit about when Rick and I had a conversation with Nancy Jacobson and Ryan Clancy, I don't know, probably six months ago now, it was about something else altogether that they were unhappy that we'd done and they told us to stop and we told them we would not. And we said at the end of that conversation that they didn't know what they were doing with this third party deal, that they were playing with fire. That Rick has also done a third party bid. He actually ran Evan McMullen's campaign at 16. We know what we're talking about. And they told us that, you know, we were crazy. And they said that they show that, you know, the policy prescriptions that they want to work out have broad appeal and support amongst the American people. And so just last week in Manchester, New Hampshire, they released their policy platform. And I'm going to put that in air quotes so that everybody could see it's in air quotes. It's one gigantic bowl of vanilla ice cream. They had Joe Manchin and John Huntsman, as we've mentioned before, talking about unity and working across the aisle. And let me just say something before I, I ask you a couple of questions about this platform is I think it was the New York Times that noted that for an event that was set up to express the ability of a Republican and a Democrat to agree on issues across the aisle, each of the issues that came up, Philip, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't agree on. There were a number of issues that came up during their, their town hall or whatever you want to call it, where Manchin and Huntsman disagreed. You know, and when you look at the overall policy, it's uh, 64 pages uh, in total, and I believe about 37 or so of these ideas, as they call them, these common sense ideas that all Americans can agree on. Again, paint Biden and Trump as equals in some way that, oh, they're both wrong, but, you know, we're right. And let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about what they said for about abortion, for example, where on this fundamental policy that every American agrees on, they have no ideas themselves on abortion. They said, you know, Americans want there to be access and some want there to be limits. And that's it. When you look at climate change, there's nothing. There's only a mention that, you know, we need to drill more for energy. On Social Security, which I thought was very interesting, a program that is universally loved, that pulls high, that Trump and Biden have both promised not to touch, no labels attack them for that. And said that they were wrong for that, which in my mind could only mean that for a no labels ticket, Social Security is on the chopping block in some capacity. And then, you know, let's talk about free speech. When they're talking about free speech and they're talking about censorship, they cite the Twitter files. They cite a story that no mainstream journalist took seriously, that the only people that promoted it were Joe Rogan, Elon Musk and other members of the right wing. And Republican goons in the U.S. House who, during the hearing where they were trying to nail down, you know, just what the these Twitter executives had done, were made to look like fools. The irony of ironies, Philip, is that they titled that particular section Transparency. Transparency. And they attempt to say that the Biden administration has colluded with big tech and social media companies to silence, you know, the opposition. 
And we know that to not be the case. You know, they talk about. Well, it was. It would also be very difficult for that to happen, considering that Facebook, Meta, whatever, doesn't exactly have a good track record of silencing wacko right wingers, QAnon, or everything else. And Twitter, the another major social media outlet, is now run by a flat out MAGA right wing sympathizer. Well, Ron DeSantis launched his camp. Oh, well, crashed on tried. takeoff trying <laughs> to launch to, his campaign right. on Twitter. Right and. These are things to not take lightly. You know, the folks they're citing and the comparisons they're making, there's this belief again that right wing thoughts are, are censored or, you know, they come out against canceling and, you know, cancellation is bad and somehow Biden is censoring. Yet they somehow manage to not include anything about book bans. They manage to not include anything about the curriculum happening in Florida and how that is an attack on free speech. Let me just say, as an aside, remember that not too long ago, might have been a couple of weeks ago, someone from No Label said that if Ron DeSantis was the Republican nominee, that they would not see a need to run this third party candidate. So they're OK with Ron DeSantis. They say they're not OK with Donald Trump, but that's a little hazy. Are we talking about the Donald Trump that was endorsed as a problem solver in 2016? Well, there's that too. Or remember that the select committee last summer was seen as a partisan witch hunt by this same no labels group, which we should also note while we're on these connections. You know, Mark Penn was someone as a pollster who was seen helping Donald Trump, right? He, he went to the White House at least on one occasion, if not multiple times to advise Donald Trump on different things. He is a contributor to Fox News. He has used the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal, the type of place that their donors read to lambast President Biden on everything from his State of the Union to everything else. Pat McCrory, who I mentioned earlier, right? Who is his main political consigliere? A guy named Chris Lasavita. Who is Chris Lasavita? Well, not only is he the swift boat guy, for any of you who remember that from the John Kerry campaign, but he's also Donald Trump's top strategist, right? John Huntsman. Who is John Huntsman's campaign manager in 2012? Susie Wiles. Who is Donald Trump's campaign manager? Susie Wiles, right? And these are just the tips of the iceberg on these things. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You know, I do my research, as they like to say, Philip. And when the more you do the research, the more you dig, the uglier this thing gets. But let's talk about one thing that you said was missing. And this has always been interesting is they don't talk about taxes in this plan. Not at all. There's just a discussion at some point in this policy platform where they say, ah, the budget needs to be balanced. I'm like that's a that's a great idea. I think uh, every party's trying to do that every year. But there's nothing on how it gets there. There's nothing on tax policy, tax reform. Supply side economics will save us. Trickle down will still save us. I I mean if they put that on the paper at least there would have been a policy to look at. But there's nothing. But you also said something when we talked earlier which was there is no policy here, right? This is just poll tested Look, Mark Penn, you know, was famous for his ability to, quote unquote, triangulate the electorate, right, the American people politically when Bill Clinton was president. And that's what he's doing here, which is it's no surprise that, Philip, as you know, if you want a given answer on a survey, you ask the question that you know will produce it. And look, as I noted, when I did this on a third party effort and reform efforts, right, we came up with this crap all the time. You take a little bit from the left and you take a little bit from the right and voila, everybody loves it. The problem is, is that's not A, how humans work and B, how the country is ordered politically. And, you know, again, people, even now, if people see an R behind someone's name, they have an idea of what that stands for. 
If they see a D behind that person's name, they have an idea of what that stands for. It's shorthand. If they see an I, they don't know what it means because we don't have a history of that. Should we have more parties? You're never going to get an argument from me. I think we should. Do I think that voters from city council of the White House deserve more choices? Sure, I think they do. But here's the other part, too, is if you're going to do it, do it in such a way that you are wearing a white hat and you are saying we are doing this the right way for the right reasons, not when there is an existential threat to American democracy who will almost assuredly be on the ballot next year, who you seem to be OK with. And the impact that this type of candidacy would have is very direct. I mean, no matter how far the organization wants to say, we won't play a spoiler. The math always shows it will be a spoiler. I have not seen a single public poll that has a unity candidate, if it's Joe Manchin, you know, if we're talking about Larry Hogan, hell, if we're talking about Kirsten Cinema, that shows any of them. And then back to these maps where they say they can win, again, there's no polling showing these state-by-state -state margins and what those look like. So I'm, again, very curious how they're getting to this number. And then when you look at the policies again, it's a mix of right-wing talking points and fantasy. There are, of course, pieces of policy that anybody would agree with in this because it's been poll-tested. It's something that I'd expect from Frank Luntz. Right. Listen, public education should be better, but we also need to expand charter schools. Wow, you've really gone out on a limb here, right? There's nothing that anybody wants to grab onto. And again, whether you want to believe it or not, here's the other thing, is that presidential contests, all political contests, but presidential contests in particular are contests of charisma. Donald Trump has charisma coming out of every pore, right? But it's noxious. He's everywhere all the time to the point where people get ugh. Joe Biden has a quiet, stately charisma. He is a good guy. He's a grandfather, right? He does the right thing. He's held the Western Alliance together, right? He understands what it takes to get things done in Washington. These other people don't have charisma. They're black holes for it. And so this somehow is academic in nature, right, to them. Like, we'll just put up anybody and it'll work. But again, I think at the end of the day, as we start to wrap up here, Philip, I think I've been on calls where folks say, well, you know, the motives behind this don't matter and that some of the people working there, you know, really believe in this. Well, let me say this as someone who's probably a tinge too cynical about some of this stuff. The why to me is very clear, which is you wouldn't do this if you didn't want Trump reelected. And the motive matters because if they're willing to go through with something like this, the truth is, is that they're willing to do anything, bend any rule like they are in their campaign finance, break rules like they have in Maine, where they didn't tell people on the petitions they were changing their voter registration. We'll have more of that to come because they're willing to do anything and everything to make this happen. And to those people who work at No Labels who think you're trying to do the right thing, I appreciate that you believe that's true. But gang, it's not. It's not true. And I would ask you not to be led down the primrose trail. I mean, Bill Galston, who is a lion of liberal thought in Washington, D.C. for decades, a founder of No Label, said, I can't have anything to do with this. I won't be a part of it. And I would also say this. We see a lot of media coverage about the fact that, you know, the No Labels thing has Democrats alarmed. It's not just Democrats to my friends in the media. 
It is Republicans and independents and members across the political spectrum in the pro-democracy movement, right? It is not just Democrats. It is a lot of us. I am not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican anymore either, right? But here's the deal is plenty of people are concerned about this because we know, right? Like, I call myself your friendly neighborhood Cassandra for a reason, Philip, right? Because like we see how these things go. We've been here, all of us collectively from you to me to Rick and Stu and Joe and Ryan and everybody else on the team. We have hundreds of years doing these things at the different levels with all the ins and outs. And we have some of the best strategic minds, legal minds, everything else, electoral minds at our disposal because we've been doing this for so long to say, you take one look at this and you go, no freaking way. There's no freaking way this ever works unless it was to do one thing. And if it's not to do that one thing, then boy, they're really terrible at what they do. Well, and there's a reason why the people who talk glowingly about this effort happen to be current Republican strategists working to elect Republicans. I think it was in Colorado where they interviewed either the policy director or the chair of the Colorado Republican Party, and he was ecstatic that this was a campaign that they'd see on the ballot. Again, it doesn't take somebody steeped in electoral knowledge or you know, years and years of campaign experience to look at this and say, mm, this is probably not going to happen. We've seen this happen. We've seen what a third party does, a very limitedly funded third party effort that hurt. And we saw what four years of a Trump presidency brought. And we know what another four years of a Trump presidency would bring. The alarms are going off. And they're telling us, they're telling us, like, here's the one thing I'll say just to our viewers and our listeners. They always tell you what they're going to do. They always tell you what they're going to do. Never be surprised. Like, guys, as Stuart likes to say, lack of imagination was our crime in 2015 and 2016. It must never and can never be our crime again. If they tell you they want to do these things, we should believe them. All right. Philip, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can our viewers and our listeners find you on the social media webs? Y'all can find me at Twitter. Uh, it's just my name, Philip Tremaine, little underscore in between first and last name. Uh, feel free to follow me. I post a lot of coffee and politics. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Reed Galen on Instagram and threads at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. For our viewers, I will be back at seven o'clock Eastern with Stu, Rick and Joe over at Resolute Square. I hope you'll join us. Until then, everybody have a great day and we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.